Hello, and welcome to this Solace Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solacechurch.com. So I'm going to spend some time in First and Second Timothy, and I'm going to kind of go everywhere. And that might be a little too hard to follow, and I apologize in advance. Uh, but as I was going through... Um, just different messages and praying, I, I came across, really, it's the story between Paul and Timothy and the situation that they found themselves in, primi- primarily Timothy in, in Ephesus and what he went through and what he endured. And I believe it, uh, some of the principles that Timothy walked through in, in Paul's training and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I think could be really beneficial to us in 2021. Um, I, don't, I don't personally, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think, I'm not an optimist as much as I'd like to be, but I, I don't think I'm a pessimist. I think I'm right in the middle, but I don't think things are going to get better this year. I don't think, um, I, I think things are going to get a little bit worse, but I do believe that that's the environment that the church has always thrived in. I believe that if you go through church, I don't believe, I know that if you read through church history, it's always in darker times that the church shines brighter, and revival happens, and just God does a work in that. Like, if you think about uh, Jerusalem, when the church is getting launched, and then Saul starts to persecute, and all the Pharisees just go crazy, and they're persecuting the church, and it's horrible, and everyone's, you know, getting arrested, they're doing home invasions, everyone flees, but then what happens? You have this huge revival in Samaria, so God uses these resets, these, these, these problematic times, and he's sovereign over them, and he does it for his purpose, so he's completely in control, and I think that's something that we always want to hold on to, but also, like, how do we engage at 2021 in a way that's productive? So that's going to what we're talking about. Um, real quick, as we talk about Timothy, we're going to talk about Ephesus because that's where he was serving. That's where Paul, like, really left him. Uh, so Ephesus um, was a city of light. So it was the fourth most significant city um, behind Rome, Alexandria, and Antioch. So it was, I mean, center of trade, port city. I mean, it was a bustling town filled with people. Uh, they had a theater there that was larger than Madison Square Garden. I mean, it was like the epicenter of, of the East in that time. They had a temple to Diana, um, and they actually believed that the, the, sh- the shrine that was in this temple was actually carved by Zeus himself and delivered to earth. So they, I mean, everybody, very superstitious, they just believed that this, this idol that was filled with breasts, is this is here because Zeus made it for us. Um, the, the worship in that was really inappropriate. A lot of prostitution um, that happened in the temple, and then the, the temple prostitutes would kind of go into Ephesus at night and just kind of d- corrupt the city. So you ha- it was just a very dark culture. You had a lot of magicians, a lot of wish- uh, witches, and because of that, you had a lot of demonic oppression, a lot of people that were uh, possessed by demons. It was incredibly wealthy. What's interesting is the people that would give their, you know, their money to the temple, the temple became a bank. And that bank actually controlled most of the finances in that, that region. So whenever you have like, that kind of oppressive demonic system tied to finances, it's an even, it's an even stronger uh, stronghold to break down. So if you look at, like for us as believers, we're real passionate about life. Uh, we'll be against abortion. And it's like, man, with all, like back in the 70s, you look at Roe versus Wade, and it's like, man, you know, they didn't have the technology we have now. When you look at the sonograms and you're seeing the beating heart, you're seeing a 3D image, it's like, how, how are they not tracking with what we're tracking with? Because that's life. Like, how are you guys not getting there? And then you look at, well, it's a $3 billion industry. It's like, okay, so that's, that's going to be a little bit harder. You look at the por- uh, pornography business, and it's like, man, with all the human trafficking, all the things that are going on in this world, uh, you would think it would be easy to kind of maybe, maybe tear something like that down. It seems, especially if you're like pro-women, 
I don't know that you'd be pro that, but it seems to be everyone that's pro women is pro that. So how does that work out? Well, it's a, it's a $12 billion industry. So it's like whenever you have a lot of money tied into these things, it, it's always harder. So that's kind of the situation that's in Ephesus. You have so much corruption, so much power, uh, so much wealth, um, and incredibly, incredibly religious. So whenever you have a religious culture, that's like, well, how could I leave? I remember we, we did some mission trips in Italy, and it, um, it's a great place to do missions. But um, I mean, obviously, to see the sights is awesome. But when you're when you're dealing with the people and you're talking to them about Christ, it's like, uh, what are you talking about relationship? Like, what are you Jesus? Are you a Jehovah's Witness? What do you mean? And it's like, no, let me tell you, like, like the gospel. And they're like, well, really, we invented Jesus, so I don't understand what you're talking about. You know? <laughs> and it's like, I mean, you didn't, but. Um, so you're, but it's like, but my, my parents, grandparents, great grandparents, I mean, everyone's Catholic. Like, if you're Italian or Catholic, it's like, how, how are we going to come out of that? So you've got to think, you have, that you have generations of people that worship that. Now, this is one of the, the ancient wonders of the world, this temple. So the pride that they had around this city, the wealth that they had around this city, generations of worship to this goddess. And then Paul goes to Ephesus in Acts 19, and it's really fruitful. And God really pours out this miraculous work. Where do you guys remember the story where they're taking handkerchiefs off Paul's body and, and giving them around, and people are getting healed by the handkerchief? That's the only time that happened. There's no ministry that we create because of that scripture with handkerchief ministry. But God was just working in a really crazy way, and it took root. So a church was planted in Ephesus, but in the middle of all that. Um, and then Paul says, like, I'm going to leave. He's there for three years. He leaves, and he's like, Timothy, I'd like you to stay. And then he gives him um, a directive, which is incredibly challenging. And Timothy's really young. He's not, it's Paul's a mentor. Paul's older. Timothy's inexperienced in some ways, even though he's traveled with Paul. But to be a pastor in this community is something that is just absolutely foreign to him. And I, I do want to say this because a lot of people will come across like First and Second Timothy and Titus and say, well, those are, the, those are the pastoral epistles, and I'm not a pastor, so it really doesn't apply to me. And I think sometimes when we contextualize Scripture like that, it, it does us a disservice because we're all saints. And that was the beauty of what happened in the Reformation is like the emphasis from, on the priest and the nun went away and the emphasis on the, the like we're priests and we're ministering in cities. And if you're ministering in your business, you're the, the minister in your business kind of a situation. So we got to look at this as like, this is a directive for us, even though it was a directive to this pastor. Um, and one of the first points that I'd like to make is, um, and it kind of, it's a point within a point, but so my first point is to become an expert. Like for us to thrive in 2021, we have to become experts. And again, it's a point within a point because of what we're hearing all the time. Like, hey, we got to trust the experts and we got to trust the science, right? So all these experts are popping up and saying, we, this is what's going on. This is like, it's like in a... February, it's like, why are you guys wearing masks? You guys crazy? Masks don't work? You remember that? Fauci said that. And again, I'm not going to be careful, but he said that. He said, don't wear them. They don't, I mean, you can pull up all the records, right? So then it's like, okay, I guess we're not going to wear masks. If you're wearing one, you've kind of felt stupid. So when I was in Chattanooga, we had a, a tornado come through right in the height where we had, no one had any information. And a tornado crushed our city. So we're going out and we're serving and we're like Samaritan's Purse came in. It was an incredible experience. But we had like 70 people that we were all together working all the time. And we were all, I mean, we all had masks, gloves, everything. So we kind of felt like, I guess we're stupid if we're in masks because he said, you should wear masks. When they come to find out, they, they were concerned of shortages. So there's a little bit of manipulation there. So, you, so, the, so these things are going on. It's like these experts are popping up saying, I'm the expert. Here's my doctorates. Here's my experience. And because I have more experience than you, 
I'm smarter than you, and you have to listen to what I'm saying. And I don't believe that's going to serve us. That mentality is going to serve us in 2021. I think the mentality that's going to serve us in 2021 is to become experts. And I think a lot of times um, we're, we are really knowledgeable in our field. So in our field of business, our expertise, whatever, that's like, this is what I focus on. But it really doesn't work like that anymore. With everything that's happening in culture, the onslaught that's happening, the ideologies that are popping up everywhere and are creeping into churches, that are creeping into our family conversations, if we're not in all humility, but if we're not informed and getting equipped to have conversations, then I believe that we're, we're not living up to the full potential that God might have us to live up to. And I think sometimes it gets weird when we talk about politics because it's like, well, the church should be out of politics. Like, what, like, the, like I'm a Christian, why would I be get political? That kind of dirties me as a Christian. But that's not, that's not biblically how it happened. I mean, when, when Jesus like grappled with the Sanhedrin, and was challenging the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the political entity in Jerusalem. And he was like, well, he never said anything about Rome. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He did. But he was in Jerusalem dealing with the Sanhedrin who controlled everything. And he would challenge them. And he would say, you believe this, but I'm telling you this. So, so I think we have to be equipped because it makes us more missional in community. And there's a lot of people that are very fearful. And I think they're fearful because they have some information that isn't serving them well. And we have the opportunity to get information, get truth, and in love and humility and boldness, begin to start to, to help the community. I think that's our, our purpose. And like if we're going to go on a mission trip to, let's say, Yemen, it would be very appropriate for us in our missions training to go through like classes on Islam. So here's the major tenets of Islam, and we're going to go into Yemen, and we're going to, as you go and evangelize in your minister, you're going to deconstruct Islam, and then you're going to bring in Christianity. And again, what we're dealing with today are ideologies that need to be deconstructed so that we can bring in the gospel of Jesus Christ and truth. So the first point is, uh, is to be an expert. And how do we do that? Well, if we can look at what Paul and Timothy did, I'm going to go through some verses pretty quick. But Timothy goes into Ephesus fully educated on the problems in culture and the problems that culture was pressing into the church. So here's what's going on. Uh, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, uh, false doctrines were creeping into the church through leadership, not through opinion, but through the leadership. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 7, false teachers were teaching things that they didn't understand. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 16, uh, there was denial of the deity of Christ. In uh, chapter 4, verse 3, there was a false asceticism that was promoted, and that basically means that there was like this, uh, like, don't, don't take wives. Like, it's just this unbelievable moral code that no one could really have up, live up to, but they're saying that this is how you attain righteousness. Um, chapter 6, verse 10, there was a love of money that had caused some to stray the faith, uh, and then, like we talked about in Ephesus, that just that political center, that banking center that was through the temple. And then chapter 6, verse 20, there's a lot of worldly and empty chatter uh, that Paul talks about and warns Timothy not to get engaged with uh, in opposing arguments of what was falsely called knowledge. So the beginning of Gnosticism was kind of taking root. And, and John deals with this in 1 John. He starts to tackle Gnosticism because that, that was a problem that was growing in the church. So all of these problems were happening, and they were impacting the church. And the biggest problem is it was leading people astray. It was leading people astray. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 17, uh, 17 and there's, there's two different books that Paul wrote that we're kind of going through, four years apart, First and 2 Timothy. Um, Hymenaeus and, and Philetus, uh, they were teaching that there was no resurrection to come. And for a believer, that's what we put our hope in, that there's a resurrection. Jesus raised physically. We're going to raise. We're going to be with him forever. They're teaching that that's not real. 
and people were walking away from the faith. So this was a huge concern for Paul. And he said, hey, I need you to go in there, and I need you to tackle all of these issues. And it's going to be hard because these are leaders. These are leaders in the church that are doing this. And whenever you're a young person and you're stepping up against somebody that has kind of the community behind their back and has that leadership, like that, you know, that influence, it's hard at times to, to grapple with that. And, and, Tim, and we'll go through this later, but Timothy was afraid a lot. So he goes in there, and I see it. I, you know, I, again, culture is always going to be different than the church, right? It's always, it's, you can't look at an unbeliever and expect them to be a believer, act like a believer. That's, that's just not, doesn't make sense. But when the church starts to bring in doctrines, when the church starts to bring in ideologies and say, hey, I think, I think this is the right thing to do, and then some of the people that, at least for me, I've looked up to like most of my Christian life, teachers that are like the most solid, start to bring in and talk about it and entertain these ideas, it, for me, it's really concerning. It is really concerning. And some of these uh, ideologies that I believe we need to get informed on as a church are things like critical race theory, uh, which is a proponent of Black Lives Matter movement, and just what they've been pushing. And if you, if you just go, they took it down now, but if you would to go on their webpage and just the, the, their desire to tear down the nuclear family, their desire to promote Marxism, their desire for transgender, all these things that, are, that they're pushing um, under this banner of race based off grievances in the past uh, is something that is creeping into the church really through critical race theory, but critical theory in general. And critical theory came out of, I'm going to go into a long talk, but critical theory came out of uh, Russia. It's this new form of Marxism, Marxism that was um, formed by Antonio Gramsci because Karl Marx's Marxism didn't work, it failed. He, f he focused on economics alone, and it didn't work. So Antonio Gramsci was in Italy, he's an Italian guy, and he was on the scene getting in politics, and um, he was put in prison because of his ideas. They said he's such a threat to society that we have to lock him up to shut his mind off. So he pens this new form of Marxism, and basically it's like, hey, in order for, he said behind, uh, Marx's view of capitalism, there's these, there's these pillars that are behind it. And these pillars are the family, the church, and culture. And for us to be effective in Marxism, we have to tear down the church, is basically what he gets to. So this new form of Marxism that you're hearing being talked about, and I know that sometimes we can say, well, that's like a, that's a, that's a bashing point on the right, and that's just a, like a you know, get on your bully pulpit and you talk, it's, it's really, I mean, it's true, it's, it's what's happening. So, um, so they, they create this new thing, and then they, they take this to America, and it's called the Long March Through the Institutions, where for the past 50 years, this is what's been happening. So when you look at the college campuses today, and you're like, what are you learning? What is going on? Are you, like, that, that, is, that is by design, that's been by design, and we're just late to the game on that. So, um, so that's happening, that's getting into the church, intersectionality, Equality through the lens of uh, social Marxism. Um, and then this, uh, this, this is real. I'm not saying COVID is not real, but COVID is a problem that's dividing the church. Masks, vaccines, all of that stuff that's coming up. So we are in a very volatile time. Um, climate change is a part of it. And again, I'm, as a dad, I have kids. We, we attend the public school in Tennessee. And these are things that as a dad I'm grappling with because I'm talking to my kids and they're coming home. It's like, hey, this is what we learned today. It's like, man, that's not true at all. So it's like, as a parent, I have to be so ahead, like 10 steps ahead of the educational system 
so that I can send them in missionally into the school. So it's just a lot. It's a lot of pressure. Uh, and I think we all feel that. But a, a lot of times when we're in these, these moments of pressure and these things that are really uncomfortable, it's kind of like, man, I don't even want to think about it. I would like to just, just kind of just think, <laughs> let's watch football. But you, you can't because it's all over. It's everywhere, right? It's everywhere. So, again, it's, it's, it's the churches. This is where the church steps into that space. And my concern is that the church is running from that space, and they're kind of embracing it, especially in regards to critical race theory. I was going to name names of these pastors, but I don't think that's respectful. I was so tempted to do it. Um, so we need, to become, we need to move from thinkers to learners. And this is something that I, uh, I, I was... I listened to this lecture by David Barton. He's the head of Wall Builders. And he talks about, he, he does this whole um, training basically on the way that we used to be educated in America, which I had no idea. So back in, like, in the early 1900s, you had the progressive movement that kind of took root. That's like the beginning. When you hear everyone say, well, I'm a progressive, it started in the early 1900s with Woodrow Wilson. So there was this guy that went to school with Woodrow Wilson named John Dewey. John Dewey is the father of modern education. And John Dewey completely changed how we get educated in schools. So before, um, you, know, you know that verse in Proverbs that says, uh, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old he won't depart. Well, that word train is actually catechize. Catechize a child in the way he should go. And here's basically what um, catechism means. It's to question, it's to examine closely or methodically. So the question's like who, what, when, where, why, how. So really to take a topic and just completely grapple with it methodically, pick it apart. That was, that was the way that that would happen. So we're, we're catechizing information. And if you go, there's ancient, not ancient, it's ancient to us, but 150 years ago, you can look at the curriculum and it's like a catechism of mathematics, a catechism of botany, a catechism of um, civics. So it's, they would catechize all these subjects. Well, what Dewey said is like, we're going to switch this up. And instead of us, of us really raising up uh, thinkers, because you'd come into a classroom and have to think, and have to have a reason, and have to have answers, and have these debates, we're going to create learners. So that's where true and false, multiple choice, fill in the blank, all the stuff that we grew up on, that's all a product of that. So what happens is, you move from you discovering information to you saying, what did I teach you? What did I tell you? True or false? Multiple choice. You know so that's a whole new way. So we're, and again, it, it, it worked, it didn't work. As long as you have like a great instructor and truth is still in culture, it works. But when truth is no longer in culture, and that's the thing that our, our burden with the church is uh, we would love to just, I think in the church, just be like, hey, we're going to continue to teach the word. That's, that is the call. It's a great commission. But in society, when there's no longer truth, then the church has to be more than that. The church has to educate and equip on all topics because all truth is our truth. So when we, when we set up what we were doing in Chattanooga, it's like, we've we we, we got to go high school, middle school. We have to educate and teach kids how to learn again, how to think for themselves, because we're just being spoon-fed this information. And again, it's kind of like, all right, this is what they're telling us. Let's go with it. And it's, it, again, it's creeping into the church. And I believe it's creeping into the church because it's just easy. No one wants to be offensive. And I'm not, I'm not advocating for pride and arrogance and violence at all, ever. But what I'm saying is there has to be a boldness and humility that's willing to take a stand for truth. We have to take a stand for truth because the reality is this, and we're going to go, it's one of my other points. We'll get to it in a second, sorry. Um, our battle's not against flesh and blood, right? 
there's a principality behind this. And if, if Satan's behind it, right, what is his end-all goal? To, to silence the church and to, to remove access to the word. Like any, any, any country, any communist country that was, was taken over through a revolution, the church and the word, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't exist after that. One of the, a great book, um, Tortured for Christ, um, Richard Wormbrandt, he's in Romania, the Russian KGB comes in, and he was at a conference, a big hall, all the pastors, the prominent pastors in the city were there, and one by one they got up, it was, it was nationally broadcasted through the radio, they said, this is awesome, communism is awesome, we're all going to get pay increases, everyone's just like, awesome, Russia's awesome, this is great, 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 great. He's the only one that got up and said, shame on all of you, you and he just completely stood up for the gospel and for Christ, and he, he was tortured for it. And again, I'm not, I'm not, again, this is not that hopeful for 2021, but <laughs> I'm not saying that it's getting there, but it's getting close. It's getting close. And I believe as we continue to say, that's racist, get rid of it. That's racist, get rid of it. That's racist, get rid of it. Thanksgiving is the worst, most oppressive holiday on the earth. Get rid of it. That. They say, well, hey, now that you're used to getting rid of everything, can we talk about this? Because this is racist, and this is offensive, and this is oppressive, and this is the reason that slavery existed in America in the first place. This book inspired it. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I guess we got rid of it. What do we do? What do, we do? Oh, that's what happens. That's what happens, and that's where things are headed. So it's our opportunity as a church. And I, I was talking to... Um, uh, we work with this guy. He works with the McClellan Foundation in Chattanooga. He's an Egyptian. Um, he's lived in our neighborhood for two years. We kind of got to hit it off and have a cool relationship. And he was just telling me, like, listen, my family dates our, like, our Christian heritage goes back to Mark. And Mark came to Egypt. Egypt became a Christian nation. And then in the 600, 700 BC, when Muhammad came through the Middle East, he conquered Egypt. And all of us, every Christian, they said, you can convert you can be killed or you can pay tax. So he's like, so my family heritage as a Christian is I had a wealthy family that said, we're going to pay tax. So he's got a mark on his hand. It's a cross. Everyone as a Christian has a mark on their hand. He's like, we have a driver's license that says I'm a Christian and we're kind of less than in society. So he works with a foundation that helps uh, ministries in the Middle East. Uh, but he was saying when Obama was in the White House, we all, he's like, we all knew every Middle Eastern Christian would tell you without a shadow of a doubt that this man was a Muslim. We knew it. The things that he said, the codes that he gave, the places he visited, the way that he conducted himself. And he said, for the first time in my life, as an Egyptian Coptic Christian, we no longer had an advocate in the White House. And in that eight-year period, more churches were burned in Egypt than any other time. And he said, it was, I mean, it was just a horrible, horrible experience. And I think sometimes... Based off the administration that's government, you can feel like, I think we have an advocate. I think, I don't agree with everything by any means, but I think there's an advocate where there's a, there's a freedom, there's this expression of religious freedom that's positive. But when there's no longer that advocate, who's the front lines? It's the church. The church is always the front line, so don't get me wrong on that. But when the church is the front lines, the church has to engage. We have to engage. And it's hard because it's like, if I engage, I could lose friends. I could... What could, I could get fired. What could happen? 
But does it matter? And again, you can take this to the extreme, like I said, where you're like a proud boy type of person, where it's like, I'm armed up, ready for war, and I'm hoping it happens. Again, I'm not saying that, that I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about genuine Christianity that's trying to reach the lost, just like Timothy was trying to reach the lost of Ephesus. That was his number one passion. He's like, I have people that, that received the gospel but are completely being led astray because ideology is creeping in. And Paul warned them in, in Acts 20 when he was on the beach with the Ephesian elders. He's like, guys, I'm not coming back. I'm going to Jerusalem, and I think this is it for me. They're weeping on Paul. And, he, and the one thing he says, he says, listen, wolves are coming into the church. Be on guard. And they weren't on guard. So then he sends Timothy. So we have to become experts in information so that we can grapple and just pray through boldness. Second point um, is who do we fight? Who is the battle against? Ephesians 6.12, we talked about this a little bit. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, uh, specifically, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world. So how do we fight? How do we engage? Um, obviously, I'm passionate about what I'm talking about. Um, not everybody is, but... Uh, well, I, got, I got really into it because of the role that I serve in the church, but I, um, I just went all out this election. I got the hats, I got the shirts, I got the signs, I got the flags. I was going big. I have a Toyota Camry. It's kind of it's not the most masculine car. That's what I have. And up in Tennessee, people have those huge trucks with the huge tires, and you put a big flag on that truck, and it looks cool. I had a, a five-foot-by-seven-foot flag on my Camry. And I had this, I found like this, this, this system, it's like suction cup system. Have you ever seen those clips that you can move glass, huge glass mirrors with? So I had a suction clip, a cup system in my car and I had this flag, it was huge. Flying, thumbs up, middle fingers, I got the whole deal. <laughs> but I was like, I gotta show my support because I believe in life, I mean, all these biblical issues, I believe in it. I don't agree with everything, but I believe. So we're gonna go for it. And we're at, at my house, we're always having these conversa- conversations. We're talking about politics. We're talking about truth. We're talking about the word. And my kids are getting inspired. And they're becoming patriots. And we, we transitioned schools, so they're in a new school. And they, they have to wear a uniform, but they could wear hats. So I was like, all right, let's get hats. So we got some hats. So they're wearing hats. Oh, my oldest is wearing a hat. And he's got like seven hats. He keeps on rotation. And he's my, he's my opposite. So I, I really am more of a quiet person that likes to be in the back. Uh, he likes to take charge and have conversation and get groups of people together and get them inspired. So he's created like a political club at this small school. And it's, it, was, oh, it was really cool, actually. But, so then one day the principal pulls him aside. And so it's like, hey, you can't wear these hats anymore. It's just too divisive. Get rid of the hats. So I was like, all right, well, it's like freedom of speech kind of thing. So I end up getting on email and just really gracefully just saying, hey, could, I, could you just reconsider, you know? And here's all the reasons why. Like, let's talk about Israel and what's been happening in Israel and how, you know, as Christians, we should be for Israel. As Christians, we should be for life. As Christians, we should be for religious freedom. I had this, it was a beautiful email. And um, she responded with a, a nice email, but, it, you know, she, she had her another view. Like, hey, it's like, but you can be on both sides. I, I was like, all right, I mean, okay. So I said, well, it's a private, it's a, it was a private school. So I was like, I don't think I have grounds. So 
And I got counsel, so I said, all right, let's not, let's not make a big deal out of this. But, and this wasn't on purpose or for spite. But so that next day, I picked my son up from school, and I had the flag on. <laughs> and I had it on, so it wasn't like I put it on on purpose, but I had it on. And it's, like I said, it's huge and crazy. So I pull up, and it's a smaller school, so I pull up, and the whole fifth grade class like explodes off the seats and their fists in the air screaming, Trump, Trump, Trump. I mean, it was, un, it was crazy. And the, the principal was there and I looked like the biggest jerk on the earth, the biggest jerk on the earth. And the board of directors was frustrated with me and it was just a, it was just a bad scene. And uh, a couple weeks later, we're talking and I put on a sermon. So I was driving with my son, we put on a sermon. He's like, dad, so he's like, it's so good to hear a sermon. He's like, all we can listen to is politics and all this. And it's like, it's just refreshing. And I know for me, it's like, I, it's so easy for me to go this way and be aggressive and want to fight and want to be like antagonistic because I'm passionate about these things. But I can miss out on opportunities for the gospel. So there's a way for us, I believe, to be really, like, like Jesus says, I want you to be harmless like a dove, but I want you to be cunning like a serpent. So there's a way for us because it's got to be gospel first. And it can be easy for that to come down and say, well, we're America first. And looking at everything that's going on, we're not happy with it. And looking at who's causing all of these problems, I can get really angry with you. And that, that's not the gospel. Because why would they not act like that if they're unbelievers? So the opportunity for me is like gospel first, God's kingdom first. Whatever God wants to do with America, God's going to do with America but I want to get the gospel out, and I want to I'll leverage it through wisdom. If it's, it requires me to say something and be bold or to take action, I'm going to do it. If it requires me to be quiet or to be compassionate and be a, a listening ear, we're going to do it because that's what, what God requires. So how do we fight? That's not the way to fight per se. It could be in times, but I found that at the school experience that I'm not the biggest uh, liked person there. So I, I think I lost that battle. But Paul says this. 1 Timothy 2.1, prayer. That's how we fight. Every, every epistle Paul writes, there's a high emphasis on prayer. Um, how do we fight? We fight through the gospel. 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, um, verses 3 through 7, 2 Timothy chapter 4 through 5. Uh, he says, Paul says to Timothy, I want you to endure hardship, and I want you to do the work of an evangelist. Now, for a, a shy, younger guy that's in a very aggressive Ephesian culture, that's hard. And you can get the theme that Paul's like, hey, bud, you've got to share the gospel. Like, you're, I kind of put you there for this, and you're, you're not doing it. I know you're afraid. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. And Timothy is afraid. He's sick. Paul talks, he's got these stomach ailments. Things, these, all these things are going on. And you can see, like, Paul's this compassionate spiritual dad that's like, come on, bud, like, we get the gospel out there. And uh, that for us, that, that's how we fight right? We fight through prayer, but we fight through the gospel because the gospel is the only thing that changes anybody. And that's the power. That's the hope of the world. Um, through gifts, Paul says several times to Timothy, stir those gifts up that you received. All of us as Christians have spiritual gifts. You might know what yours are. You might not. If you don't, you should find out. If you do, how are you using your spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you to impact the kingdom of God? And I think that, that comes through prayer, being creative, being, thought, being thoughtful and purposeful. Um, doctrine. He tells Timothy, hold fast the pattern of sound words so that you're able to rightly divide the word of truth. 
He says, continue in the things that you've learned, the holy scriptures that are able to make you wiser for salvation. So doctrinally, we have to be equipped. We have to know. And it's kind of like what they say with money. They train somebody that's in a bank, and they want to teach them how to understand or see, counter, identify counterfeit money. And they're not giving them counterfeit money. They're giving them the real thing over and over and over and over again. And then when they see something that looks off, they can catch it. So when we're in the scriptures and we're understanding doctrine and we're understanding truth, and then we hear something that's like, ah, I don't, that doesn't make sense. That, that's not right. And, and we're able to grapple with that. So doctrine is, is, is critical. That's the second point. Third point, and we'll go a little bit faster. Be able to identify your weakness. So 2021, um, let's be active in warfare. Uh, let's become experts. Uh, let's be able to identify our weaknesses. Um, Timothy's was fear. He was terrified. And that was something that he had to overcome. But sometimes you pray, like I'm, I'm riddled with anxiety I'm riddled with stress. I don't think I can have this conversation. I don't think I can do this. What am I supposed to do? And you're like, God, take it away. Once you take all of these weird feelings inside of my chest away, I will do it. And he doesn't. It's like praying for wisdom. It's like you pray for wisdom. And I'm, I'm, sometimes I hope that God just puts it in my head. But sometimes like you've prayed for wisdom, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create the worst experience in your life. You're going to go through it. And at the backside of it, you're going to have all that wisdom. And it's like, man, just give it to me. Put it in here, you know? And sometimes he does, but a lot of times it's through, it's through experiences in life. And it's the same thing, um, it's the same thing with, uh, with our own experiences that if, if there is that anxiety, it's like, man, it might not go away, but I got to say this. There's somebody that I work with that needs the gospel and I haven't shared it because I'm scared or because I don't want to make a big deal, or I don't want to... I, I, we have friends that work at Starbucks, and that's just become a really toxic environment with the pins and all that stuff that they wear and the, what they promote. And it's just like, if I say it, that whole... I mean, it's kind of like Antifa works at every Starbucks. But <laughs> at least where I'm in Tennessee, it's how it is. But it's like, if I say this, the whole restaurant or the whole coffee shop's going to explode against me. And it's like, Maybe that's the environment that you need to, to say something in. Or if that's not the environment, maybe you need to leave that environment. I don't know what it is, but we all need to process, like, where has God positioned me? Who am I around? And how am I reaching them? Um, I believe Timothy had internal insecurities that Paul helped him overcome. First Timothy 4.12 says, don't let no one despise your youth. I think he was insecure about his age and if he could really do the job. And then the, the external pressure that made him feel ashamed and consequently inactive. Second Timothy, Paul says, don't be ashamed. At Second Timothy, Paul is in prison in Rome. And in Paul's life, everybody left him. Because it's like, well, Paul's a criminal. And if you read like Galatians, what would happen is Paul would go to these cities and plant churches and then he'd leave. And then Judaizers would come behind him and say, you know, Paul's not really an apostle. Did he tell you he was an apostle? He's not an apostle. It's like, well, I hope we didn't know that. Yeah, and what he's teaching you is not, it's not even real. In order to get saved, you have to become Jewish, you have to follow the law, and then you can be saved. So Paul was now fighting against these Judaizers. So he's now in prison, words out, Paul's a criminal, guys. There's a scandal. Paul's in jail. What are you doing? Everyone's left him. He's like, don't be ashamed, bro. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of me. I'm in chains in Rome for Christ. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Be bold. And he had to overcome that. And then our last point is just to be strengthened in the Lord. Um, I'm going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 9 through 18. If you want to, we'll read some scripture together. Um, if you want to go there real quick. 2 Timothy 3, verses 9 through 18. 
He says, be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with, me, with you, for he is useful to me in ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me. All have forsaken me. May it not be charged against them. And then he says this in verse 17. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul was in the worst of circumstances pretty much always. There's that famous passage where he's like, I'm shipwrecked, I'm beaten. I mean, it was just a really challenging life. But through it all, Paul's like, the Lord is strengthening me. I'm in prison. I'm in Rome. All of my friends are gone. All the accusations are flying against me. But the Lord is strengthening me. And I believe in 2021 that, that whatever it takes, however you get strengthened in the Lord, it's that quiet place where no one's there and you're praying. It's your time and your word. Uh, it's in community. What these two letters did for, for Timothy and strengthening him in his work, so being in community is critical. I know and, uh, Pastor Andrew pushes community groups. If you're not in a community group, get into a community group. But it's, it's how are we getting strengthened in community, in the word, in prayer, so that when we go back out, that we're able to grapple with everything that we're facing in society and we can be an effective church. Um, I'd like to read one more passage and then I'll close. Um, if you could go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. And Paul writes here, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. It says, Bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance. So Timothy's like, Timothy, I want you to be nourished. You have a hard job, and I want you to be nourished in the Word. And it's that doctrine that's going to preserve you. It's going to save you. It's going to equip you. And it's going to change your perspective. And that's what we need. I found for me, it's my intake of what's going on in culture is like at 70%, and the Word's at 30%. I'm pretty depressed and a little frustrated. But when that changes and it's the Word, it's like, man, God is sovereign. God's in control. You look at, he's always been in charge of every world kingdom. And they've come to nothing, and his purposes prevail. It's like, what, what does it matter? We're here, what, what are we here anyways for? We're here for the gospel. And once we get saved, it would be way more convenient for God. It's like, you're saved? All right, let's go. Come on up. It's like, no, you're saved? Stay and be effective, right? Not my will, your be done. Your, your kingdom come on, on heaven as it is on earth. So I think for 2021, if we can really start to become knowledgeable, instead of like turning it off, or not listening to it because it's stressful or we're tired of hearing it, get engaged, get equipped. There's, um, at the end of January, we have a conference at our church, um, a Vody Bauckham, I don't know if any of you know him, but he's coming up to deal with critical race theory, all that stuff in our church, in our context. But he's going to be at um, Coral Ridge Presbyterian. I believe it's January 15th. And you can actually buy a ticket. I'm not here. I don't work for them, so I'm not promoting it. But I, I haven't, he, Vody, he's, he's, 
he lives in Africa. He's got an unbelievable college that he's doing there. But he started to speak out about cultural Marxism and ethnic Gnosticism. And he has been, like, cut off from the SBC, like the Southern Baptist Convention. So there's a lot of leaders in that community that we would, if I, na if I named the names, we'd be like, what, that guy? Like, that guy's unbelievable. They're silencing him because he's coming against culture in a way that's pretty aggressive. And he's got a book coming out uh, in April called Fault Lines. And it's basically when all of this stuff and culture creeps into the church, the problems that we're going to have are exponential. So he's on this winter tour. So I would, if you guys want, again, for like equipping engagement to be equipped, if we talk about some of these things like, man, I don't even know what we're talking about today. That would be a great place to go and just learn. He, get his book in April. It's coming out. Um, and just so be equipped. Be, be realize, realizing that we're fighting a battle against an enemy that doesn't have a face. So when I see somebody that does have a face that is toxic and frustrating and stands for everything that I feel like I'm passionate against, that's not my enemy. I can love them and I can bring the gospel to them. Um, let's be nourished. Let's be strengthened in the Lord. Uh, and let's be vulnerable. Let's be vulnerable. Let's understand our weaknesses and then ask, ask our community and ask the Lord to strengthen us through that so that we can. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.